about now? Okay, so do I need to start that over? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our services this morning. If you're in our parking lot, we want you to know that you are, we're glad that you are here with us, or if you're online, uh, that you are here with us in spirit. And of course, those of you who are in the uh, auditorium this, this morning, as I mentioned a few moments ago, this really is abnormal or weird, at least for me, for the last five and a half months. I've either been preaching lessons out in my backyard to the birds, or I've been in my kitchen or in my living room, or here at the building, uh, live streaming without any kind of audience whatsoever, ever, other than maybe four or five people, and sometimes even of the four or five people, they end up getting up and walking out when my part takes place. So it's, it's good to be able to just to look out and see a crowd of people, and what a huge crowd this is compared to what we have been doing on, on Sunday mornings. So we're just so very thankful that you are uh, here uh, with us and that we are able to enjoy worshiping together with one another. It gives us a really a reason to smile. Let me remind you of something that has happened. As you know, because of this pandemic and the, the virus itself, it shut down a lot of the things that we have done as a congregation. It's caused us to cancel all kinds of activities. And one of the things that is the lifeblood of our congregation is that of reaching out to those who are lost. And even that's been stifled some because of the need to isolate and uh, communicate and things of, of, of that uh, nature. And so uh, we've come up with uh, rebooting our Come and See program to Looking for Answers. And we did so because of the fact that LookingForAnswers.net is a much more pliable kind of venue to get our message out into the community. And so whether you are reaching out to the community locally or globally, this is a great way for you to be involved. It's simply just using World Bible School as a means of reaching out. And so let me encourage you, if you're not already doing so, that maybe you might think about uh, getting involved in looking for answers. In fact, next week we'll have our, our bumper stickers. Uh, they will arrive as well as business cards. And so if you'd like to put a bumper sticker on the back of your car that sends the message out for people to look for answers and to get questions, uh, answers to those questions or uh, a business card that we'll have you can hand those out to uh, people that you come into contact with as we continue our series or our theme for this year which is identity embracing our true nature this morning I want to introduce to you a third quality we've already looked at two qualities but I want to introduce to you a third quality this third quality, in my estimation, and just me, my opinion, is I think it's probably one of the most difficult. It certainly is one of the hardest for me. Before I get into it, though, let me share with you a, a, a short story. A fellow by the name of, of uh, Arnold Lobel, he, he wrote a book called Frog and Toad Together. And in the book, he has a section in it that he calls Cookies. And he tells about an interaction that goes on between toad and frog. Toad is in his house, and he has made some cookies, and the smell has just been just crazy good. And then they were finished up, and he took a bite of one, and he said to himself, this is the best-tasting cookie I've ever tasted in my life. I need to share it with someone. And so he hopped over to Frog's house. He said, you got to try one of these cookies. And so he gave Frog one of the cookies, and Frog ate the cookie. And he said, this is the best cookie I've ever eaten in, in my life. And so together, Frog and Toad, they began to munch on the cookies, eating one cookie after the, uh, another. I mean, they were just really going through the cookies. And then Frog said to Toad, with his mouth full, he says, you know what? He goes, uh, we really ought to quit eating the cookies because if we keep eating them, we're going to end up making ourselves sick. To which Toad said, you're right about that, Frog. Maybe we should do that. And so let's, let's eat one more cookie, and then we'll qu quit. So Frog took a cookie, and Toad took a cookie, and they ate the cookie. And then Frog said to Toad, you know, he says, those cookies really were good. 
He's got a mouthful of cookie. Let's just have one more. And then we'll, and then we'll quit. And so they ate one more cookie, but they didn't stop there. They just kept going through the cookies. And finally, Frog said, no, really, we need to practice self-control here and stop eating the cookies. And Toad said to him, well, what is self-control? And Toad said, well, or Frog said, well, self-control is when you don't do what you really want to do. To which Toad says, it's like eating the cookies. He goes, exactly. And then Frog took the cookies and he put it in a box. And Toad said to him, he says, well, you know what? He says, you can put them in the box, but we can just open the box and eat the cookies. And Frog says, you're right. We could just open the box. So he tied a string around the box. And Toad says, well, that's great, but we can just cut through the string and open the box and eat the cookies. And Frog says, you're right. We can do that. And so he got a ladder and he put it up on a high shelf. And Toad said, well, that's a good idea, but we can still climb up the ladder and get the box of cookies, come down, cut the string, and open the box and eat the cookies. And Frog says, you're right about that as well. So he took the cookies outside, and he tossed them on the ground and yelled out really loud for all the birds to come, and all the birds came, and they grabbed each one a cookie and flew away with the cookies. And Toad is upset about that. He said, listen, he goes, you just messed this thing all up. Now all the cookies are gone. We can't eat any more cookies. And Frog said, he goes, well, isn't great that we can practice self-control? And Toad said to him, I don't care about self-control. I'm going to home, and I'm going to make myself a cake. Would you say that Toad had a problem with self-control or with his willpower? I would submit to you that probably one of the biggest problems that we have as human beings, as Christians, is being able to practice self-control. Self-control, you know, there are a lot of problems that come because of our inability to practice self-control in, in our lives. I mean, we think to ourselves, why can't I, I lose weight? Why can't I keep the house cleaner? Why can't I get more done? Why can't I break this really bad habit? Or maybe it's more serious than that. Why can't I control my emotions, my, my temper? Why can't I control my, my lust? Why can't I control my tongue? Why can't I control my greed or myself being covetous? Why can't I control those things? And the answer is, is when it comes to self-control, my biggest problem is me. I really struggle with self-control. And I don't think I'm probably the only one. All of us sometimes go through that. Proverbs, the 25th chapter and verse 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city with broken, uh, that has been broken to and left without walls. We need walls that are around as perimeters to say, here's how far you can go, here's how far you can't go. And so self-control is a key factor to embracing our true nature because without self-control, you're unlikely to achieve anything of lasting value in this Christian walk. And not only that, you can cause a lot of problems for those who are around you. Well, in our passage of Scripture that we have been looking at as a theme passage of 2 Peter, the first chapter, verses 5 through 7, I would invite you to open your Bibles to there. But listen to what uh, Peter writes. He says, For by these he has granted to us a precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, Christian love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in that section of scripture, uh, there Peter, he talks about the qualities of life that makes up our identity, our true nature, who we really are. And so he says, when it comes down to your faith, you need to supply moral excellence. And we discovered that moral excellence is choosing to do right in the face of temptation or peer pressure from society or from our culture or from our friends to do wrong and that we choose to do that which is right. And then Peter follows up moral excellence with knowledge. So last week we talked about embracing knowledge. And so when it comes to knowledge, well, knowledge that he's talking about here goes far beyond just head knowledge and, and with facts and, and information. This kind of knowledge is something that goes much deeper than that. And I said to you last week that the way that Peter uses the word knowledge, he uses it in one sense that we grow in a deeper knowledge of who God is and what God is about. Not just about God, but to really know God in a deep kind of, of way. And not only that, as he gets down to verse 5 there, and he says, supply moral excellence, knowledge, that word knowledge there had to do with just being able to know the difference between that which is right and wrong according to the moral conduct that God has established within his word. And so we can know what his word is, and we can know what is acceptable to God and what is unacceptable to God, that which is good and that which is bad, and that we choose to do that, was good, that which is good or that which is wholesome or, holy or uh, wholesome in, in our lives. Which brings us to the third one, supplying moral excellence to your moral excellence knowledge and then to your knowledge, self-control. And so the challenge of embracing self-control, to be able to master yourself. In fact, I thought about you know, making the title the, the challenge of, of mastering self. Because that's really what Paul, or what Peter is talking about. He's talking about this kind of, of self-control, this, this willpower, this quality that uh, stops us from doing that which is wrong and keeps us doing that which is right. That's what self-control is. And so you might ask, well, what exactly is self-control? Well, a really simple definition. There are some really lengthy definitions, but a simple definition is, is someone's control over uh, his or her impulses, their emotions their actions it's able to control those things that we want to do or desire to do but when we recognize that maybe they are wrong for us to do inside uh, inside of god we choose not to do it and we choose to do that which is right psychologists who study human beings and how we look at right and wrong and and how we look at self-control they said this it's the ability to delay gratification Resisting short-term temptations in order to meet long-term goals. Think of that as a Christian. We resist the temptations for the now because we have a long-term goal of being with God in eternity in heaven. The capacity to override unwanted thought, feeling, or impulse. Conscious regulation of self by self. And what that is saying is that you, you know, someone else cannot control you. Uh, but you can control yourself. And so it's something that needs to be a part of who, are, who we are. Peter, he uses this word, uh, ekratia. The word ekratia is a word that really literally means strength to master self. I mean, there's some lengthy stuff that goes with it, but that's probably the root meaning of this word here. And it's something that you can 
learn. It's something that you can be taught. It's something that you can acquire. It's something that you can practice. But there has to be a pursuit of it. Just like pursuing moral excellence or pursuing knowledge, well, it's the same when it comes down to self-control. We can pursue self-control and practice it in our lives. So practically speaking, when you talk about self-control, it is the ability to say no to ourselves, to what we know is wrong, and yes to, no, to what we know is right. It's like the frog and the toad. They knew that if they just kept eating cookies, they're going to get sick. And so they knew what the right thing to do was, but the temptation was extremely strong for them to just keep on eating the cookies. But they had the ability to say yes or to say no. So failure to control ourselves leads to all kinds of, of problems and difficulties for ourselves, and not just for ourselves, but for others. And so all you have to do is just think back in your mind to some things that your loved ones have done or your friends have done that were bad choices where they didn't practice self-control and how it affected you and how you had to live with their choices. That sometimes happens, and so in order to help us not put other people in a bad place or in a jam, not only do we need to practice self-control for ourselves, but also for those who are around us. So what can we do to develop a self-control? Well, I think probably one of the great illustrations of self-control is in athleticism. When you think about an athlete, an athlete um, in his or her chosen sport they're going to uh, practice self-control. They're going to discipline themselves. They're going to train in such a way that they're able to be um, you know, proficient in their sport. And not just proficient in their sport, they want to stay healthy in their sport, and they want to excel in their sport, and they want to win the prize, but not just win the prize. They want to come in first place. They want to be the very best that they can be. And so Paul, over in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verses 24 down through 25, he uses it as an example of what self-control uh, looks like. And so open your Bibles to that section of Scripture, because inside that Scripture, I think that there are, are, are four uh, practical suggestions to how we might go about developing self-control. Listen to what uh, Paul writes to these, the church here in, in Corinth, beginning in verse 4. He says, remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. You also must run in such a way that you will win. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will not fade away. That is a perishable, imperishable crown. But we do it for an eternal prize, or a perishable crown compared to an imperishable crown. So I run straight to the goal with the purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. Discipline my body like a, an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So like I mentioned, there are four practical things that we can go through fairly quickly here uh, this morning as we talk about developing self-control. The first one is this. Self-control develops by knowing your purpose. Look again at verse 24. Remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize. You must run the race so that you can win the prize. Every athlete, especially a runner, knows that there is a course that is placed before them. There is a purpose. There is a goal that is placed before them. And they know that in order to win the race, they have to stay on the track. They have to follow the course. 
which means what? Well, what it means is that you can't win by running your own course. If a person is in a marathon race that is 26 miles long, uh, they can't decide that they're going to take shortcuts or that they're going to get outside the bounds of the course. The course has been established by those who are in places of authority for here's how we're going to run this race. And so they have to run it according to the course that has been laid out and stay within the bounds of the course or face possible disqualification. And they can't run aimlessly. They just don't get up and just, you know, all in a group, just start running in all kinds of directions and say, we're going to run in all kinds of directions. We're going to run 26 miles. And when we finish, you know, we'll know who the winner is. Well, you can't run that way because, uh, you know, that doesn't have a purpose in it. That doesn't have a goal that is there. And so you can't run aimlessly. It's no different when you talk about the Christian life. When we talk about our Christian life, we know that there is a course that is in place before us, that there is a a, a track that must be be followed and jesus talked about that over in matthew the seventh chapter verses 13 and 14 he says broad is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction many are those who go down it are are going to be lost but narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few are those who find it so there's a lot of people who are going to go down a very broad course and and decide what their course is going to be and then the arrows are going to go into a narrow course, one that has been laid out by God. An athlete understands that. They understand that they must stay on the track, that they must follow the course. They can't just run in any way they want, and they have to run with aim, with a purpose that is in mind. Well, I want you to know this morning that the Lord has established a track for you uh, to run the race of, of life. Self-control, it develops when we, you choose to run God's race instead of your own. And what happens with us is sometimes we think we know what the better course is. Or we decide that we want to run our own course or run our own way, and God says it doesn't work like that. There is a course that I have established for you that has purpose in it, and it will see you all the way to the end and to the finish line. I like what Romans, the sixth chapter, and verse 13 says. It says, Give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of, of God. And so we use our bodies to run this race. Okay, so it's not a physical race in terms of going around a track, but it is the race of life that has been placed before us and God has established that for us. And so what is that track? What does it look like? Well, one is this. You're made to love God, and that's what we call worship. That's why you're here this morning, because you love God. You desire to worship him. You're made to love people. That's called fellowship. There is this need for fellowship. We were not created to be beings that, that go it alone or to live in isolation, and that's why this period of time has been so hard on so many of us because we long to be together with one another. It's natural for us to be together with one another. It's unnatural for us not to hug or to handshake or to give kisses or things of, like, like that because we're hardwired by God to connect with one another. And all you have to do is go all the way back to the very beginning of the garden to Adam and Eve. And God said after he created Adam, he said to, I believe, Jesus and to the Holy Spirit, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helpmeet suitable for him. It's not good for us to be alone. And so we need a fellowship, a sharing. You're made to be like Jesus. We call that discipleship. And so a disciple is a follower of Jesus, and he has pointed the way. And that's why Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. 
We know he sat down at the right hand of God. He's shown us the course, the way. Now let's follow him and fix our eyes on that goal. You're made to serve God. We call that ministry. It's challenging right now for us to do that, but we have to find ways that we can minister to one another. And some of you are doing that quite well already. You're made to tell people about God's love. We call that evangelism. It's a little harder now, but with, you know, looking for answers, that certainly has made it much easier for you to participate in reaching out to those who are in, in need of knowing who Jesus Christ is. So here's the question. Are you on the right track? Or are you kind of running your own course? It takes self-control to stay on track, to stay on course, and to run with, with aim. Here's the second thing. Self-control requires discipline, and that's hard to do sometimes. Look at what he says in verse 25. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that, will, prize that will fade away. We do it to win an eternal prize. In the Isthmian games, when they ran the races, they were given a wreath. It was just a, you know, it was just made out, and it was just organic, which meant that that wreath, they could put it on their heads, and it looked good for a while, but eventually it begins to wilt and eventually dies and fades away. Paul says, we don't run to win an imperishable prize. We run, or perishable prize, we run to win an imperishable prize, one that's eternal, one that lasts uh, forever so simply speaking discipline means to to uh, set goals to help us to achieve our purpose and that's why he says those who run away race they dis discipline themselves to practice self-control strict discipline to practice self-control think about the marathon a marathon racer you know if if a person decides i want to run say the Boston Marathon, a 26-mile marathon, you don't just get up in the morning and decide that you're going to run a marathon. I mean, you might get up in the morning and say, I'm going to run in the marathon, but you're going to last about maybe one mile, maybe two miles, and then you're going to be done. You're going to be gassed. You'll be finished up, and those who have been disciplining themselves will run right by you. Well, no marathon racer gets up in the morning and decides that he's going to or she's going to get into this race, they get up in the morning and they start practicing. They start strength exercising. They start flexibility exercises. They begin with maybe a mile. They extend it to two miles, three miles, four miles, five miles, six miles, all the way up to eventually they're able to run, you know, and not have to take a bunch of breaths, 26 miles. And it's not just running the 26 miles to completion. They want to increase their time. They want to increase their speed so they don't come in last place. In fact, their goal is, is they want to come in first place or at least something that is recognizable, something that is admirable. And so they run in order to be the very best that they can be and maybe even being better than everyone else. And so they run that race in the same way. Now, we're not marathon racers in that we run distance other than the distance going to heaven itself. But we are involved in a, a race of, of life that is a marathon. And in order to finish the race, we have to discipline ourselves to do so. So some spiritual disciplines that God has given us will help us to achieve our purpose to finish the race. What are they? Well, one discipline is that of prayer. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 19 says, you know, pray without ceasing. Prayer is an important part of who we are. It's how we connect 
to God. It's how we uh, communicate to him the things that are going on in our lives. It's how we praise and adore him. It's how we confess our sins. It's how we ask for things. It's how we, you know, plead for people and intercede for those who are around us. And it's not just talking at God. It's talking to God. And that's why last week I said to you that knowledge is more than just the acquiring of information and facts. Knowing God is going into a deeper kind of a relationship with him, an intimate relationship with him, where we're familiar with coming to his throne and talking to him on a regular, regular basis. The discipline of Bible or reading. You know, how much are you reading your Bibles? Uh, in this time of being isolated, how much are you getting into God's word? And when I say reading God's word, I'm not talking about quantity nothing wrong with quantity but i'm not talking about quantity i'm really talking about quality i'm talking about you begin reading your bible and you read until you come into a place where god speaks to you that means where when you get to it that's going to be applicable to your life you can see how you can apply that to your life and so you stop at that point and you begin to meditate upon god speaking to you in that moment there and then you make a plan how you're going to put it into practice so if this week were a point of interest in terms of self-control and how self-controlled you are, you then can ask yourself, okay, how can I practice self-control this week? How can I practice self-control with, with my emotions or with temptations or with greed or whatever your deal is that you can practice self-control at that, that moment? And so read till you come to a place where God is speaking to you and then try to put it into practice. The discipline of scripture memorization. Psalm 119 and verse 11. There, I believe it was David who wrote this, but psalmist nevertheless. And he says, thy word I have stored up in my heart. Some says I have treasured it up. I have hidden it away in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so the knowledge of his word that tells us right and wrong, we memorize that. And when we come into a moment of temptation, or pressure, we're able to apply that and think, oh, here's what this passage says about that, and I'm going to choose to do the right rather than that which is, is wrong. So the discipline of Scripture, memorization. And then, of course, worship assembly. If, if ever there was a time where this should be impactful to us, uh, I mean, all you have to do is look around, and you can see that there's a very small number of who we are as a congregation our congregation is around 470 people, and, and, and you can feel it. You know, I mean, this is a huge crowd compared to what we have been having, but it's a very meager crowd compared to what we've had six months ago. And so worship assembly is so important to us. We gather together to worship God. We gather together to gather around his table and to commune with one another. It's as much horizontal as it is vertical. And then, of course, to hear God's word preached and to reinforce that with one another. And then, of course, the stimulation process of it, the encouragement that we get from being with one another. Jeremy, I love what you had to say. Your words were so encouraging from the verse, very first word you started with to the very last one. It was just so encouraging to hear those words and to be reminded as we were singing, I stopped singing for a while and just lifts until you sing through your muffled masks. And I just, and it brought tears to my eyes because I've just missed that because on Saturday mornings when we record or when we were live recording, I was sitting here with three other guys and I was singing to myself almost. 
you know and it's so good to hear others sing because it's so encouraging number three self-control grows with an eternal perspective look at what he says in verse 25 he says all athletes practice self-control they do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize so I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. And so there is an eternal perspective to what we are doing and, and where we are going with our lives. Just as an athlete keeps the prize in sight, in the same way a runner looks towards crossing the finish line first, Paul maintains his focus on an eternal prize that's kept, kept before him in, in heaven. So Paul's you know, his goal was eternal life and to enter, enter heaven, hearing Jesus say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. If you go back to Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, and verse 7 and 8, Paul is at the very end of his life. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I knew where my punches were going. I have finished the race. I finished the course. I stayed on track. I followed the course. I ran with, with aim. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous Lord will award to me on that day, but not to me only, but for all those who have loved his appearing. Paul knew where Jesus was. He knew he was at his right hand. He knew where the finish line was, and he was going to run it all the way to completion. We need to have that eternal perspective. When we maintain an eternal perspective, when we focus, when our focus is not on the temporary or the immediate, we're able to practice self-control. Think about an athlete. An athlete has little trouble in saying no to the things that will not help him to move closer to his goal or her goal. A person who is training for, you know, for a marathon knows that he or she cannot eat a Krispy Kreme donut. They know that. They, they have a goal in mind, and they're going to do everything that is necessary to get to that goal, and they're going to be able to say no to the things that are going to be attempting. Paul said this, brothers and sisters, I consider myself a winner, not a winner yet. This is what I do. I don't look back. I lengthen my stride, and I run straight toward the goal to win the prize that God's heavenly call, heavenly call offers in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I haven't attained it yet, but one thing I do, I'm going to stride. And I'll keep moving forward. And Paul would probably say if he had taken time maybe or maybe the Spirit had moved him, he'd say, and if I fall down, I'm going to get back up. And I'm going to continue the race. Move all the way to the end. And then finally, self-control knows the consequences of failure. Verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself uh, might be disqualified. And so there's a chance of being disqualified if you don't run according to the rules of the race. If you don't run within the parameters of the track or the course. If you decide you're going to go your own way, there's going to be a penalty for that. And the penalty is disqualification. And Paul says, after I've preached of what is right and wrong, I need to make sure that I am disciplined to myself, that I make good moral choices that I use the knowledge of what is right and wrong and that I choose to do what is right rather than what is wrong and that it's up to me to practice that kind of, of control. And so how will we respond uh, to self-control? How do we need to respond uh, to it? 
Well, you know, we can do it in a lot of different ways. The fellow behind me uh, is Edmund Hillary. Sir Edmund Hillary, he was the first guy to climb, you know, Mount Everest. They said that he, no one could climb Everest. It's 28, over 28,000 feet in, in altitude. And they said, no man can do that. Well, Hillary did it. And they were asking him in an interview about his passion for mountain climbing. He said these words, it is not the mountain that we conquer, but ourselves. As long as we think we can't climb the mountain, we won't climb the mountain. I believe that I can climb the mountain, and so I climbed it. And since that time, thousands have climbed Mount Everest. Some that said could not be done. They're able to conquer themselves and overcome their, the negativity there and practice self-control, and they have climbed the mountain. Or Peter the Great of Russia. He said, I've been able to conquer an entire empire, but I've not been able to conquer myself. And that's true of a lot of people. And then finally, this fellow here, Grotius, uh, he said these words, he says, a man cannot govern a nation if he cannot govern a city. He cannot govern a city if he cannot govern himself. He cannot govern himself unless his passions are subject to reason. And so we have the ability to practice self-control, but it's a challenge. And so the challenge for you this morning is for you to think about how are you doing when it comes to acquiring these qualities of our true nature and our true identity? Are you acquiring moral excellence? Are you getting more knowledge? Are you coming into a closer, more intimate relationship with God? And are you practicing self-control? I'd encourage you to think about those things and how you might respond while we hear a song of encouragement. And you're encouraged to, if you'd like, you can even stand up now and we'll sing this song. So let's all stand and sing.